Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, as he does every week at this time, Mr. Nate Zielinski. Happy 4th of July, Mr. Zielinski. Happy 4th of July to you, my friend, as well. Uh, it's a great day to be, uh, be an American living in the United States here. Yeah, and you know what? We've been wishing people a happy 4th of July, but let's uh, say a little something about our service people who have kept this country free so we can enjoy the outdoor things we do. And, and hopefully everybody has a great, safe 4th of July. Hey, Nate, we, uh, I don't know if you got to listen much, but we did, a, we did a, a segment on big game hunting, getting started, how you get a license, getting your hunter ed, and the resources on Colorado Parks and Life website. Then we went a little bit to the uh, small game. But so we've had a lot of questions, especially on big game, and a lot of people are either starting or they're going back to hunt and they haven't done it in years and I know you start a series on hunting, usually about this time, we run away all, all through the fall, in addition to our fishing conversations. If I'm a new or inexperienced hunter, what should I be doing right now? I mean, Terry, you know, there, there's so much across the board with it. And I think that, uh, I mean, really, we'll start diving into it week by week and breaking it down. But as an overview, I mean, I've literally done a little bit of everything, literally in the last two days, um, of, about this exact topic. So, we're going to start off with some gear stuff. We'll talk about some scouting stuff. We'll talk some shooting stuff. Um, and in reality, right now, you know, we're, we're putting in, we're, we're, you know, in the next couple of days, we've got to make sure that we have our secondary draw all dealt with from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. But within that, I mean, there's people that are going to have, you know, a, a, a great hunt with a limited tag to where they're, they have their hunt planned. They're going to be an area where they might not have as many hunters. And there's a lot of people that are going to be taking, you know, advantage of the unbelievable opportunity we have at the, basically what we call the over-the-counter tag. So a tag where, you know, archery and second, third rifle, and, you know, there's some opportunities to just literally go purchase a tag at a licensed agent and then go out in the field. Um, some of those hunts, some people will take a little more serious. They're going to really try to avoid the crowds. They're going to pack in, go further, um, and things like that. So, you know, number one, let's start off with, with gear because, obviously, if you live in Colorado or maybe you're listening from somewhere else, if you've been to your local, you know, retailer, you've been to your local Bass Pro Cabela's or really anywhere – Obviously, as you walk the aisles, I would not say that you are having the availability of gear that we are used to. Now, obviously, I think going into any hunting season, I think we're always a little you know, scarce with gear because so many people are out there recreating that you know, sometimes you don't have a huge selection of ammunition or a huge selection of camo um, or tents or, or whatever this gear is. This year, I would say it's by far worse. Um, so we don't have a ton of gear. So normally I, I talk about scouting right now when we start bringing in gear a little bit later. We're kind of, I don't want to say reversing it, but we're really tag teaming and doing both of those things now because there's a good chance that you might have to order gear um, and or look a little harder for the gear that you need for this upcoming hunting season. So I would encourage hunters to, to put a little bit more emphasis on 
making sure you have the supplies that you're going to need this upcoming hunting season uh, because, again, it might be just a little bit harder to find. You know, so we start off, you know, in the middle of August with our pronghorn archery season. Um, you know, so that type thing, you know, looking for arrows, broadheads, making sure your bow is dialed. Um, all of those things are huge. I spent some time at Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear this week. I'm actually going to be there again on Monday. Um, just dialing in bows, making sure I have enough arrows, making sure my broadheads are flying right, just just really dialing in everything that you need. Um, you know, so that is a, a number one step for the archery hunters, making sure you have broadheads, arrows, bows, make sure all of that is dialed in. Um, for your rifle hunters, same thing, um, making sure that you have ammunition. We keep talking about how gun sales are high and ammunition sales are through the roof. Um, there's so much more to shooting than going down to the store, grabbing, you know, a 180 grain bullet or whatever you shoot and, and hoping it's good. Um, so like the process I did this week, Terry, that, that blows your mind. Cause obviously there is specs from a factory that they have to have to make sure that ammunition is safe and shoots good out of your rifle. But within that, there's still a, a fairly large window of variance to, to have a great shooting round. Um, and what shoots good in my rifle to your rifle or even, you know, similar rifles that I own, um, nothing shoots the same. So when I'm preparing for an upcoming hunt, I go to the range and I'm looking at a combination of the grouping that that bullet and that cartridge shoots out of a rifle as well as the speed. So I shoot everything through a chronograph and I look at the speed variance and I look at the groups, um, you know, and I might shoot Hornady. I might shoot Barnes. I might shoot Winchester. I might shoot whatever the, the rounds are. I'll buy a box or two of, of multiple rounds of, you know, say a 180 grain bullet and I'll shoot them through that chronograph, shoot them and look at my groups. And I look at the best average where, where my speed coming out of that, that rifle is, is, you know, averaging the closest number as far as, you know, feet per second. But I'm also going to look at those groups, and I'm going to take those tightest groups. Then I'm going to adjust my rifle to there, and that's going to be the round that I hunt with this coming fall. Because, um, again, if you just grab a box and shoot it, well, again, what shoots good through my rifle to another one might be tough. So spend some time dialing in those rounds so you have the next several months um, to make sure you can buy what you need and have that time as products might be scarce. Um, I did a video this week going through my backpack about what I carry in the field. So, so gear is a must right now just because it's hard to find. Oh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, and when you go out to a range, if you're a, a beginning hunter or you just bought a new rifle, Go to a range like maybe Colorado Clays where they've got great range of people that can help you, give you some pointers, and, and they can shoot in different positions. Because that little bit of advice when you're starting out will keep you from developing bad habits. Even take a class, spend a little money to really get familiar with your firearm. And by the way, you mentioned your videos. How do people see those videos, Nate? You know, we're doing a ton of different stuff, so there's a ton of stuff getting released by Ruger Firearms. Uh, so some of that is on their website, some is Facebook, and, and that kind of goes forth. And you can always follow my page, Nate Zielinski on Facebook, and as we release these videos, we'll share that stuff. Um, so that's always a great place. So, again, I, I kind of have multiple personalities on, on uh, Facebook. I know it's hard, but we have our Tightline Outdoors page. I have my personal page, Nathan Zielinski, but the Nate Z uh, Hunting. So Nate Zielinski on Facebook is where we release a lot of that stuff. Uh, we can, I'm sure we can kind of figure out how to post those things right now. But, uh, yeah, a lot of that stuff as far as how to squeeze the trigger and how to really just, just dial in a rifle is huge. And, again, one of those things that I, I don't think anybody notices, and, you know, I, I won't speak – 
of different brands because, again, what doesn't shoot for me might shoot great out of other rifles. But it will blow your mind when you actually are shooting multiple manufacturers of ammunition and especially, you know, through, through te- you know, speed tests, how much variance there is coming from a retail floor when you're purchasing just stock ammo. So, again, spend time and make sure you find something that shoots good through your particular rifle because uh, it, it makes a huge difference uh, come hunting season for sure. Well, and it does, and you should consistently, the very least, Stick with a brand that you feel like is shooting good and practice with that and 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 understand where your rifle is shooting with that and don't have a mix of shells because you get out a couple hundred yards on that big bull and oh. it's all the difference in the world. I mean, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, 100 yards or 200 yards is a drastic difference, especially when you're shooting some different stuff. So, again, spend some time playing with it. You want to be comfortable. You want to be dialed in. Um, and once you find that round, again, you know, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say stock up, don't go crazy with it, but make sure you have enough to get you through hunting season uh, as ammunition is, is a little more scarce to find than, than it has been in past years. So make sure you dial that well, in. Again, make sure you dial it in with your backpacks. Have a plan of, hey, I'm that guy that I am going to pack in three, four miles. I'm going to, you know, I, I did a 19 miler this week. So, you know, are, how far are you going to go back in? Do you have the gear for that? You know, in an emergency, could you stay a day or two? But all of that type stuff uh, is the, is the gear process that I'm going through right now. You hate to, to purchase a backpack or however system you're going to carry a fanny pack. And all of a sudden, as you get towards hunting season, be like, man, I, I'm going in deeper than I thought. I'm hunting harder than I thought. Um, you know, I don't have the gear for it. So, Everything that you are going to hunt with, everything that you're going to carry and or use this fall are things that you want to be practicing with now while scouting, shooting. Again, so many people scout in one manner and then change it up the last second for hunting. You, you really want to have your program dialed now and carry that out and just be a continuation as, as the hunting season changes. Well, another thing, as you practice and test the ammunition with your rifle, Learn your limitations. If you, only, if you only really feel comfortable making a shot out 50 or 75 yards, don't shoot at 100 yards. Certainly, there's very few people. I hear people talk about, oh, I shot out 400 yards, and there's very few people capable of consistently and ethically making that shot. So when you do practice, understand how efficient you are with the firearm and take only the shots you're really comfortable with making, Nate. I couldn't agree more. We say this right now, and literally 80% of hunters, it goes right out the window, um, you know, when that big buck standing in front of that big bull. And it's sad to think that, but it's the truth. I mean, we're, we're speaking truthful here. So many people tell themselves they have limitations, and then they, they let it go out the window when hunting season approaches. So my biggest thing is I train for everything, you know, and so many people will go to the range. And, I mean, they're sitting on a flat bench, you know, they're using bags and they are absolutely lethal they are a very good shot but all of a sudden you throw them out in the woods and they're forced to sit or lay and and that's when the trouble occurs so it's one of those things that literally you know get into a, a facility where you can shoot off shooting sticks you can shoot from from a sitting position you can shoot from a laying position learn and train yourself to shoot in all those situations um so when that that opportunity presents itself it's not foreign and that's a big deal and i know my personal capabilities i know how far i can shoot off of sticks i know how far i can shoot from you know a, a various situations and i know for me i literally set myself up in a hunting situation where when i hike 
I hike to where I can almost always drop my bag and lay down. I have a very, you know, kind of pronounced system of when I'm going to take a shot with a rifle, I almost always take off my backpack. I have my backpack packed to where I have a softer section in the middle. I can lay that rifle in the middle of my backpack and I can be just rock steady. So where literally when I'm walking through the woods, it's in my head. I, every step I take, I'm like, hey, if something happened right now, could I pull this shot off? You know, when I'm walking through the woods, I kind of go tree to tree to where I could put the gun up on a tree. Um, I have those thoughts going through my head, and I know my capabilities from each shooting position, and by no means is it the same. I mean, I probably change 50 to 80% in distance um, from one position to the next on how stable I can be. So those things are all, all big. But instead of, you know, practicing in one way and telling yourself you have a limitation, practice for the extreme. You know, one of those things, do a hundred jumping jacks and then lay down on that gun and shoot. Get yourself winded. Um, you know, put yourself in a bad glare. Um, do all of those things to, you know, somewhat simulate what's going to happen in the field and then know how you're going to shoot and then handle yourself in those situations. And all those things will lead to a more successful hunt this fall uh, for sure. And then while doing all of this, you got to spend some time scouting. Um, now is the time. I mean, literally the, the sheep hunters and goat hunters are starting in a month. Um, you know, pronghorn is like six weeks away. Um, as much as we always tell ourselves it's midsummer, hunting's far away, it is not. Uh, I mean, if, again, if you've kind of had the, we'll, we'll call it the COVID weight. I know a lot of people might be eating a little differently. I know the activity levels sometimes might be a little down. Uh, if it's one of those things that maybe you've put on a few pounds or maybe you haven't been to the gym, um, now is the time. It's going to take you a couple months to get back into that hunting shape, to get you back in your program for that. So right now, get out in the field, do some scouting. You know, you're going to get yourself into train shape for hunting. You're going to start getting yourself just accustomed to waking up early to, to changing that diet while you hike um, and more importantly you're going to find the animals that you need to be finding on this upcoming hunt so right now these animals are where they're going to be during hunting season the pronghorn are where they're going to be the deer the elk the bears um, everything is in position as we're here you know into july so now is your time to scout if you're out there now and you are not seeing animals more than likely they will not show up by hunting season so many people are like ah it's just summer that's why i'm not seeing them that is false right now these animals are, are in their summer patterns it's where they're going to be in august september and early october uh, until we really get snowfall these animals are staying put so now is your time to find them again don't use the excuse it's summer if you're not seeing animals you need to scout harder look different areas and find them because they are where they are going to be and Nate, we are way out of time, uh, and we've got a special segment coming up the next segment, but I'm sure we're going to continue this. If people want more information, how do they get a hold of you? Absolutely. You know, you can always go to our Facebook pages, again, tightlineoutdoors.com, or seek out Nate Zielinski on Facebook. Uh, give that page a like, uh, and we'll kind of get you more information on those pages there. And then always check out Bowtech Archery and Ruger Firearms uh, for a lot of other information as well. All right, my friend, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Nate Zielinski. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, uh, Parks and Wildlife is going to join us, and we're going to talk about these uh, issues with spearfishing that's been buzzing through the uh, fishing community here in Colorado. All that and more coming up on Cherry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I started singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the 
Happy 4th of July to everybody. Terry Wickstrom, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They are open today, so if you need that last-minute fishing item, camping item, or even grilling, they are there in all five locations. Stop by. Let's go right to the phones now. And uh, we are very... uh, we feel very, uh, I, I was so honored. We're just, I think that Josh Nearing, he's the senior aquatic, aquatic biologist out of the Southeast region, is joining us. And Josh, for you to take time out on the 4th of July to call us, thank you very much. Uh, good morning, Terry. Happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Let me set the stage a little bit. There's a, a buzz in the, in the uh, angling community that's been just uh, hitting a pitch that I haven't seen for a long time, and that has to do with these uh, proposed changes to spearfishing regulations. And I want to kind of clear people up how we're going to handle this. Um, Josh is going to come on. He's going to talk from Colorado Parks and Wildlife perspective about the nuts and the bolts of what's going on, how we got to this point, and where we go from here. And then next week, I have arranged to have a member of the spearfishing community and a representative from the uh, conventional angling community that are each going to get a segment to kind of give the, the virtues of each of their positions and talk about why it should or shouldn't be passed. Now, now Josh, what is the current state of spearfishing in Colorado? Is it, A lot of people didn't even know we had it. Correct. Yeah, it's it's not as uh, well known as far as um, <clears throat> as angling, uh, but yeah, we have spearfishing regulations in Colorado currently. The regulations allow for northern pike and carp on a statewide basis, and then east of the Continental Divide, um, we allow the take of gizzard shad, white, and longnose suckers. Um, and then those are allowed east of the Continental Divide, um, except where there's specific water body restrictions or land management agencies and then um, that prohibit it. And then at Pueblo Reservoir is the only other reservoir where we allow other species than those. And we have three species of catfish that are legally, uh, can be legally har- harvested by spearfishing. Those are flathead, blue, and channel catfish, and then also wiper. And those all have a bag and possession limit of five fish each. So there is uh, a number of opportunities. Is there quite a number? Do we know or don't we know the participating number of spear fishermen? And do they need any kind of a special license, just a normal fishing license? A normal fishing license is all that's required. Um, and it's a little tough to uh, know the precise amount of spear fishers that we have out there. But it's been estimated that there's... Um, well, there's around 150 members of the Rocky Mountain Spearfishing Association, and there's probably 50 active members in Colorado. So I imagine the number is slightly higher than maybe that 50, 50 number um, throughout Colorado. Now, before we get into what changes are being proposed or the nuts and bolts of the bill, why a change? What precipitates this? What makes Parks and Wildlife look at changing a regulation? So this has come up in the past um, to increase spearfishing opportunities. Um, we were approached by the spearfishing community to look at our regulations and then also compare them to other Western states. And in that process, we you know looked at other West, Western states, and it seemed like Colorado in general was more restrictive than most other Western states. And so we worked um, to sort of develop this proposal. Uh, it's very much in draft form, um, looking for you know comments from from individuals, and we'll compile those as we move through this process. Now, I think the first 
public announcement of this came at the Southeast Regional Meeting. Am I correct? No, we actually had two other angler roundtables on the West Slope um, about two to three weeks ago. Um, And then the most recent one was not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before um, a virtual angler roundtable was, yeah, uh, not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before. Now, do we know what the new regulations or the new proposal is? I know it's still being formulated, but can you give us sure. in ge- at least the general back uh, what it's going to entail? Sure. Yeah, the current um, current pro- proposal would allow for the uh, statewide take of uh, fish species that currently have a, a statewide bag and possession limit. So basically, um, the same. Um, same regulations uh, as fishing or the same bag and possession limit as fishing, but there's certainly going to be some uh, water body specific um, situations where spearfishing won't be allowed if there's, you know, if there's um, recreational conflicts or there may, may be size restrictions or maybe species restrictions um, on individual water bodies. But the current regulation would allow for statewide harvest of those fish that have a current bag and uh, statewide bag and possession limit. Now, when you looked out at surrounding states, the West is such a vast area. Did you have any trouble really saying Colorado kind of fits into this mold, or did you kind of try to take a general perspective? Uh, more a general perspective. Certainly, Colorado is unique in that you know we have um, waters, warm water reservoirs on the East Slope and some on the West Slope, and then it goes way up into the mountains where we have a lot of colder regions. And so um, it varies quite a bit. Um, you know, water body size is certainly um, a consideration as well. Some, some of the Western states have larger water bodies um, than Colorado. So we're looking at all that. Uh, yeah. Um, looking at it uh, with a really wide lens at this point. And of course our population is quite a bit different here too, than like Utah or New Mexico. Um, when you get a draft like this, you get started. You said the the spearfishing community approached you to uh, change the regulations. Is that a pretty common practice that a group who, and and all the groups in the outdoors have agendas. I mean, we're not going to try to single anybody out, but is that a pretty common practice that gets you to look at regulations? It is. I mean, it, it could be anything from a, a organized group or just anglers, you know, that come to our, our angler roundtables and they, submit, you know, comments and have concerns, um, whether it's, uh, you know, the level of fish that we have in a certain reservoir, or maybe it's a statewide thing where um, they want to increase or decrease, you know, the bag and possession limit. So, yeah, we, we that's exactly why we do these angler roundtables is to get that public input, um, sort of analyze the situation, look at the biological impacts. Um, all those sorts of things, take those into account as we're developing the regulation. Now, I'm sure you know there's been a huge amount of backlash in the angling community, and um, whether it's justified or not, we're going to try to ferret that out next week. We're going to devote two segments next week to we're going to give a member of the spearfishing community time to come in and state their case, why they think it should go through, and then we're going to let a member uh, of the traditional angling community who's opposed to it give their case what is the status of the changes right now is there still room for public comment and uh, do we know if it's going forward or in what form it's going forward 
Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, there was a little bit of um, confusion, and part, most of that lands on my shoulders. During the Angler Roundtable, I um, requested that the participants get back with me in the, in the next week with their comments about the Angler Roundtable in general, so not just the spearfishing. So some of that was my mistake, um, and it was maybe misinterpreted. But, yeah, we're currently in the very early stages of this proposal, and so we'll be taking comments um, for quite a while here. We have... Um, another uh, angler roundtable in the northeast region um, and people can um, sign up for our e-newsletter that will give them news hot topics and uh, press releases that go out and certainly the angler roundtable will be on that once it's scheduled it's scheduled we're we're working on it right now we have a we have a tentative date for right in the middle of july so we'll be taking uh, comments you know from that angler roundtable and then the next stage in the process as we collect these comments we would go to our internal staff regulation um, review committee basically and they um, they would review not only this regulation but other proposed regulation changes Um, and that is happening in mid-august if um, at that point the regulation may change some it may you know have more restrictions Um, it's hard to say but if it if it moves on from that stage, it would actually go to our wildlife commission, and they would hear um, the proposal for the first time at their September second and third meeting, um, and they would simply hear what the proposed regulation, along with any others, and then they would vote on it at their November nineteenth and twentieth meeting. So certainly taking comments um, all the way up until you know they would vote if if it was to go that far. So. I just encourage people to contact me directly. I'm organizing all these comments and kind of summarizing those, getting um, all that input from the public so I can move that on to our internal staff and then also um, up to the Wildlife Commission if it was to go that far. And they can email me at uh, josh, J-O-S-H dot nearing, and that's N as in Nancy, E-H-R-I-N-G at state, S-T-A-T-E, .co.us. Now we're really out of time, but uh, one last question: um, Have you compiled biological impact information, and is any of that available? Um, that's a good question. It's you know, with the um, the number of spear spearfishers out there, it's difficult to know exactly what the harvest is. We do creel surveys where we interview anglers on harvest but we don't come in contact that much with spearfishers that are out there just because there's not so many. So it's, it's a little difficult. Um, but I think at those levels, um, it would be, um, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say. Yeah. We don't have a whole lot of data, but we rely on, um, getting information from the public, um, and the spearfishing community as well. Josh, we are out of time. Why don't you give your contact information again for people who want to comment? Sure. Email me at josh, J-O-S-H dot nearing, and that's N-E-H-R-I-N-G at state, S-T-A-T-E dot C-O dot U-S. Thanks. Thanks, Josh, for taking time out on the 4th of July to go over this issue with us. It's going to be a, a, a hot topic for the next few weeks. I know that. And I will remind people now, this is the nuts and bolts. Next week, we're going to get a pro and con segment on spearfishing in Colorado. And, and I'm sure that we'll get comments from that that you can pass on to Josh. Josh, have a good rest of the 4th of July.
Thank you. Happy 4th to you. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on. All right. Thank you so much. Josh Nearing, biologist from the Southeast. We're going to take a quick time out. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing when we return on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's get right to the phones. Uh, Joining us is Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th. Sorry we got you a little late, Chad. I thought it was pretty important that we let let Josh... uh, kind of keep going on the the spearfishing thing though well yeah i was listening in on that and uh you know i appreciate that that he came on and talked about that i know josh he's a good guy uh you know i have two cents i'm gonna throw it out there real quick terry i think that that the spearfishing thing my my opinion is it's a poor idea um and and it's basically for one reason and only one reason it's a very small user group with a very effective tool for impacting our fisheries and uh you know, the the thing is, they don't harvest a lot of fish, but they harvest the top one percent of the of the population size wise, brood stock, things like that. And the idea of guys shooting, you know, lake trout in shallow water or walleyes when they're spawning, uh, I've swam with the fish. I know you can swim right up to them. So anyway, that's my two cents worth on that. And if you need somebody that wants to to uh, call in next week and debate that, I'd be happy to be that guy. Well, we're setting that up, Chad. We are going to have a pros and cons. I haven't got the timing of it yet, and you're definitely one of the names that's on the list from the angling community that may be our response, and we do have a commitment from the spearfishing. When you were in California, did you do any spearfishing yourself? Well, in Florida, actually, and uh, and I have uh, with, with a Hawaiian sling uh, mostly, which is similar to a spear gun but not as effective because you, it doesn't go as far. Um, but I've done a tremendous amount of snorkeling, both here in Colorado and in Florida, and I know unequivocally that I can swim right up to any smallmouth bass in this lake, and they don't care. And that's where my concern is, because as an angler, uh, it's one thing to trick a fish into biting something. It's another thing to just swim right up to them and shoot them. And, uh, and I know from watching guys spearfish in Wyoming when I was up there, uh, they were unbelievably effective. In a matter of about 15 minutes, they, they had two limits of gigantic walleye in the boat and pulled up the anchor and left. And, I mean, it, it's a very, very effective tool. I think it has its place in the ocean. It maybe has its place for, you know, rough fish, things like carp. I can understand it in fish they're trying to remove from a fishery. But as a, as a wholesale statement of spearing game fish, I think it's way too easy to harvest the prize bull that way. All right. Well, I'll tell you, what, we're going to cover that in depth next week with representatives from both sides. I tell you what, what I do want to talk about, Chad, though, is some angling opportunities still in the front range. Because we were running a little late, can I put you on hold for a quick break? And let's come back and talk about maybe where people can go catch some fish with a rod and reel right around here. Is that all right? Sounds good. I'll wait. All right, we'll take a quick time out. When we come back, Chad Lachance will tell you maybe where you can catch a fish today or tomorrow, right here in Colorado on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. To be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Very appropriate song on 4th of July. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, and I have past Chad Lachance, who is back with us, with telling you where the next few days you can go catch some fish, Chad. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, right now, Terry, as we've talked about at length in the past, this is the time of year we're in the peak summer bite. So, you know, everybody's eating as far as fish go. They're trying to fatten up. Uh, this is the waters are, are nearing their warmer temperatures for the year. 
And so your options are huge. The, the, the one thing I want to throw out real quick for today, they are already turning people away at Boyd Lake, Carter Lake, and Horsetooth. So if you're not already at the lake, uh, too late for today to come to any of these reservoirs. They're stopping people down at JJ's at this point. So, um, but anyway, it's back to the fishing. The fishing is really actually pretty good everywhere we've been in the last week, week and a half. And, and the places that are getting the least amount of pressure from what I've seen is for sure most of the area's smaller ponds. Uh, there's a lot of people at the ponds, but they're not getting a tremendous amount of fishing pressure. And so... You know, if I'm going out like today, tomorrow, here on 4th of July weekend, trying to avoid some of the crowds, I'm going to avoid the big parks and go to the smaller areas, the state wildlife areas, or some of the city ponds around town, things like that, uh, because I'm going to have the most chance at consistent bite. What you're going to find in those ponds is very, very easy to catch. Bluegills, crappies, uh, green sunfish in some cases, pumpkin seeds in some of them but a lot of panfish. So easy peasy on the panfish. They don't care how warm the temperatures are outside. Um, and that should be a really consistent bite. Really anybody that can hear this can probably capitalize on that. If I am going to hit one of the reservoirs, I'm probably looking at my warmest water species right now. The, the, the obviously being the bass in most of the reservoirs, the, the horse tooth is up at over 70 degrees. Uh, so what trout are in here are, substantially deeper at this point they'll make forays into shallow water to feed but for the most part they're staying deep um the walleye bite's been very inconsistent here uh same at carter it's starting to come around a little bit at carter but the walleye bite has been very inconsistent one day it's good the next day it's not and so people need to keep a keep a mindset that if they don't catch them in the morning you know keep grinding you might catch them in the afternoon or vice versa so uh, that's going to be a, a, a thing there. I know that as far as the rivers go, most of them are doing fairly well. There's still some stain in the water in a lot of the river systems up and down the front range right now. But the, it, you know how I feel about that, Terry. That in my mind actually can help the angler to some degree. You just have to adjust your, your presentations accordingly. I'd rather deal with water that's a little bit high and stained in the river than I would crystal clear and low, you know? So, so especially if you've uh, seen me cast the fly the way I stir up the water, I'm better off if it's a little <laughs> Yeah, that's probably my thing as well. The, the stained water definitely hides all kinds of angler errors. Uh, it also makes the fish a little bit more ambitious about feeding the high water. So those things come together. And, but I also know that, like, all the bathrooms, people need to be prepared because, like, if let's say you're going to go in Poudre Canyon, all the bathrooms are closed still. All the Forest Service bathrooms and stuff are closed. So if you're going to take the family up into the park, you might, or up into the, the canyon or any of the canyons, really, you might consider that there's not resources necessarily available that we are used to having in those canyons at this point. Hopefully they're going to get some of that stuff opened up pretty quick. I will tell you that I was out a couple of days ago, um, just going from pond to pond because I, ha- I had to order new trolling motor batteries. So I couldn't take my boat because I screwed up again. But um, <laughs> every pond, every pond I went to, um, I put on, I, I fished for bass a little bit, but I wanted to see what the panfish bite was. And I took just a clip on bobber with about two to three feet of line below it and a tiny jig, like an ice fishing jig almost. And I put on that little tiny gulp extruded night crawler, that little one that's about an inch long. You know which one I'm talking about in a natural yes, color? Yes, sir, I do. Yep. yep. And I could not keep the panfish off of that. I could have caught as many as I wanted. Some pretty good size, too. So what a day to get the kids out, you know, take a take a picnic lunch because the picnic tables are open again, and sit there and, and just have a good time. And, and you know what? Even if you don't fish, get the kids set up, and they will have a blast. 
Well, that's what I was going to say, Terry. The first rule about taking kids fishing is it's about them. And, and uh, you know, I've done, I don't have kids, but I've done an extensive amount of coaching kids. I worked at gajillion kids' events. And the first thing you do wrong is pick up a fishing rod. So the, the right answer is uh, is to definitely take care of the kids. And like I said, it's it's that summer peak where the bluegills, I mean, even out here, I, I was, I've was i been in the lake a lot the last couple of days here on Horse Tooth. And, and if you park the boat in any one spot for more than about 20 minutes, there'd be a pile of them underneath your boat that you can start catching, you know. And uh, and so there's this is for sure the time to get out and enjoy the long days. And, you know, the other thing is if I'm going bass fishing in the evening, I don't care how crowded the lake is or the pond is or, or how many people were there during the day. The last hour of daylight, largemouth bass are going to feed. And, they, I mean, they're named for the size of their mouth, not the size of their brain, and they want to eat for real. And uh, and they're going to feed. And a surface bite can be really good every evening, even if they've been pounded on all day by anglers. They just, you know, they just it's what they do. They feed up. They have a big mouth. They do it for a reason. And don't be afraid of the size of the bait you're going to throw this time of year. If I'm going to a pond somewhere looking for largemouth now, I'm throwing a big bait. I'm throwing something. I'm going to give them a real mouthful of food. I'm not maybe going to catch the sheer numbers of fish that way. But I have a chance at the at the bigs that live in the ponds, and and believe me, every single one of the gravel quarry ponds that I've ever fished up and down the state, I've sampled a few with Parks and Wildlife. They all have at least a few big bass in them. It's just up to us to find them. Oh, you're absolutely right, and it is a great time to catch them. And you mentioned something, and I think this applies to most of the fishing this year. You talked about no matter how much fishing pressure, you know, I used to I used to hear about Cherry Creek all the time. They said, well, with all the boats at Cherry Creek. When do you fish? The fish have to be spooked all the time. I said, if you lived next door to the airport, would you just quit eating for the rest of your life? I mean, eventually yep. you get accustomed to that. And I think across Colorado, we're getting a lot of fishing pressure. We're not necessarily getting a lot of catching pressure. And I think that the that's, fish that's right. are, are responding quite well. You don't have to worry about the other anglers. No, you definitely don't. And, you know, as a guy that guides for, you know, all of significant portion of my living uh it is definitely if i couldn't catch fish behind other anglers we wouldn't get a lot of fish caught and uh and you're right these days the lake is very busy but i've had lots of days in the past where i begged for some boats to show up because it was glass calm and sunny and nothing going on and you get a couple of wakeboard boats start running up and down the, the lake and they'll start stirring up the shorelines and get some fish to move so you know as you know also one of my favorite places to fish anywhere we go is the boat ramp because it's the busiest place on the lake and it gets fish going so don't the, the fishing pressure bothers fishermen more than the fish no question about that and certainly some fish will wise up to certain techniques or whatever but again that's back on the angler to figure that out and uh you know and if, if what you're doing is not working do something else because they are they are around they are trying to eat it's just a matter of us locating them and you know i'm sitting here looking out across the bay right now there's a bajillion boats out here in Inlet bay right now and uh and i guarantee you, you can go about five minutes and catch one you know uh one thing i do want to say people see you and myself on television and they listen to these radio shows and read the articles we read and and then they go out and they fish for a half hour and they don't have any luck and well, first of all, I want to say we don't catch fish every time we throw a, ro- a line in the water either. Yourself, bro. I don't know about that. Uh, no. uh, yeah, <laughs> but it does take some patience, especially when you're learning. You know, Gil, go out with the expectation you're going to have a good time, and then you'll probably catch a few fish, but you may have to work, and you're going to get better as you go. Yeah, for sure. And you know what I tell people, too, as far as that goes, is um, – you know, fish, go with an open mind a little bit. If what you're doing isn't working, do something else. Don't just because you read that Chad says throw a jig right now 
doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's going to work right now. That just means that it will work for Chad and probably you if you do it right, but that doesn't mean you can't catch him on a crankbait or something else depending on the condition. So I, I tell people the same thing. Uh, you know, if, if what you're doing is not working, change it up. If you've got a bait out there hanging under a bobber and it's not bit in 20 minutes, move it. Throw it somewhere else. Throw in deeper water, shallower water. You know, move it around a little bit because, you know, it, it for sure, it's not going to happen for you immediately. There's This this doesn't happen that way for most people most of the time. Uh, guys like you and I, I think, don't think about the fact that we've spent our entire life doing this and stupid amounts of time obsessing over it. And so it comes easy for us. But there are certainly days when it's a struggle for us. It's just that our experience level goes through. It helps us work through it quicker. Uh, for people to establish that experience level, what they really should do probably is, uh, you know, try a lot of different stuff. Try stuff you read, stuff you hear, and try it and see what you enjoy as well. Because part of it is you may find that you certain techniques you enjoy more than others. And uh, I think that's another side of the equation. Chad, we got to go. Uh, if they want more information from you, um, fishfulthinker.com, fishfulthinker on Facebook. Yeah. Yep, fishfultanker.com, fishfultanker on Facebook. And if guys have questions about the spearfishing thing or have concerns, they can email me, chat at fishfultanker. I, I am a member of the Sportsman's Roundtable, or I'm actually uh, – I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, I'm out. I have one more meeting, but I am a member of the Sportsman's Roundtable. And uh, if you have comments or questions about it, I'd love to hear them as well, and I'll make sure they get to the right people. All right, my friend, you have a good 4th of July. Thank you very much. You as well, Terry. All right, Chad Lachance. Hey, folks. Um, we're running out of time here, but we are. I'm going to post um, what Parks and Wildlife had to say about the spearfishing on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Then I will post the information uh, during the week about our point counterpoint where we're going to give time to both sides to talk about it. We'll also try to post as much of the contact information as we can because I think this is an extremely important issue. We need the outdoor public to be involved. I want to thank Kyle for keeping us on schedule, Karen, for keeping me in line. Uh, We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan. 